Amos 5.21. I hate, I despise your feasts, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look at them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sekoth, your king, and Cayun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of their nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calne and see, and from there go to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster, and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, and stretch themselves out on couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall, not be the f they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial or the one who uh, will burn, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say no, and he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands and the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow with, there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Now, we uh, stopped last week just before uh, we got to uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And it's another probing inquiry uh, about their false religion. And God uh, points them back to uh, the time when they were in the wilderness. He's already said, I, I see all this false worship and I don't want it. I don't want the offerings, I don't want the songs, I don't want your musical instruments, I just don't want it. Uh, a parallel is in Isaiah chapter 1. And he says, he asked these questions, uh, did you sacrifice to me, uh, basically, uh, yes or no? 
And the history of Israel in the wilderness is a, is a terrible history because it seems that almost as soon as there was any trouble or difficulty, they turned uh, to other things. The golden calf and the false religion were there. There's an incident where the one man took a, a woman from another nation in the sight of the, the whole camp. And uh, uh, it was a, a disgrace to Israel. Uh, the years were marked by sin and grumbling and, and idolatry and, and uh, this idol worship. Uh, these kings, these kings that are mentioned are just general different gods. They're, they're really not mentioned many other times. This uh, Sikath and Cayune and uh, all of these, uh, it says, were images that they made for themselves. Uh, they were inventors of things to worship. They were inventors of new ways to worship God. They were inventors of these new songs and new things and, and new gods, and they, they were taken uh, by all the gods that were around him, around them. Uh, they wanted religious worship that they made for themselves, uh, yet they rejected uh, God and made their own gods. And so the result is, in the prophetic future, he says, I will send you into exile uh, beyond Damascus, and then uh, our uh, um, study constantly brings us back. He says, says Yahweh, whose name is the God of hosts. He's underscoring. This is who's saying it. If I tell you something, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. You can trust the word of Art Mink, but, but the, the, you might say, well, he's just a man. God's point is that there's no doubt that this is going to happen. And he underscores uh, those words. Uh, we looked at a, a passage on uh, Wednesday evening uh, about Stephen's martyrship. And he uh, brings this passage up uh, in the middle of talking to the uh, Pharisees. They, they told uh, Aaron to make gods for themselves. They made a calf in those days. He's, he's, he's tying it right into the same time as Amos. And he says, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. That is written as the book of the prophets. So this is the same time frame. Now the same verse. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness of house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephem, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And uh, Stephen is wrapping up. He's bringing up the application. He's trying to tell them, you've always missed the point. You crucified Christ. That's where he's going to get to. But he's saying you've always missed the point. Uh, the names of the gods are different here because gods have different names. And also maybe it's quoted from the uh, uh, Septuagint. So Stephen brings it up in his application and the, the thing is that pure worship of God is, is so vitally important, isn't it? You, you can't just make up your own. You can't have your own special gods, your own special things. It, it has to be according uh, to God's will. Amen. So then uh, Alec Motier sums it up and says, A purely ceremonial religion can never safeguard the truth or hold the people to the truth. You see that it can't safeguard the truth or hold the people to the truth. You have to have God's truth. And that is both 
a safeguard and a hold. When I truly know God, I safeguard my worship, but God holds me to himself. That's, that's what he says. They had been punctilious. It means they'd been meticulous in their observance. They'd been punctilious of conduct and etiquette in the ceremonies of their shrines, but careless of the truth of God. And that's exactly what happens. Oh, we got this new worship. Oh, we got this worship, worship, worship. We got this, we got this. But it turns out that it's careless. It's careless of the truth. It's careless of God's holiness. It's careless of what God requires. And that's what God is explaining to them. Now, chapter 6 begins with uh, the second woe. The first one is uh, in chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, there's two woes in uh, chapter 6. Uh, the one in verse 4 is only in the ESV. So the ESV is interpreting, interpreting the, king, the continuing uh, of the woes. And you'll see that it's a list of people who are doing, who are, are doing sin. Uh, so chapter 6 is the two woes in uh, verses 1 through 7 and then the execution of the judgment uh, from verses 8 to 14. Uh, it's a sad picture, but it's so similar to our times. Uh, notice first the objects of these woes. First of all, those who are at ease in Zion, the whole nation. With what we've heard, how could you be at ease? If what we heard is true, how could you be unconcerned? Oh, God's not going to judge his people, they said. Remember, the one, the one character, characteristic was complacency. Oh, God doesn't really care about all that worship stuff. God doesn't really care what we do. Uh, those who feel secure, he says, in the mountains of Samaria, it's a, a specific place. And Samaria is mentioned five times in, in Amos. That is the focal point because that was where Ahab originally set up false worship. And that is now the focal point of judgment. Chapter 3, verse 9, 3, verse 12, 4, 1, and 6. And, um, or, or 4, 1, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and 8, 14. Three times the, the mountain of Samaria is, is looked at. The, the height of idolatry and and foolish worship and 8.14 talks about the guilt of Samaria. You remember the Samaritan woman. The place got wiped out and a number of years later she's talking to Jesus and she says, she's in Samaria and she says, we worship on this mountain. You could, talk, you could have asked her, well, didn't you, didn't you hear the history? Didn't you hear what God did to the worship on the mountain of Samaria? But she still has it in her mind. Well, way back when. We worship on this mountain. And that's why Jesus says, no, you worship what you do not know. You worship in ignorance. And then note, he says, the notable men of the first of the nation, Ezekiel calls them princes of bloodshed. The house of Israel comes to these corrupt men. The house of Israel is ruled by corrupt men. And you remember the picture of the gate. They didn't do justice in the gate. They oppressed the poor in the gate. That is the, that is the, the, the people who are running it. They're corrupt. They're, they're base. And so Amos says, uh, to those notable men of the first of the nations, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the top. You, he, you could say that he's saying, the house Israel comes to these corrupt men all the time. 
And then it's as if he says, take a tour, take a, the, take a tour of the destruction that's there already. Pass over to Calney and see, and go from there to Hamath the, the Great, and go down to Gath of the, of the Philistines. He, he's saying, take a tour. This, these lands are destroyed already. Look what God's done already in, in his judgment. But then he says, are you better than these, or is your territory uh, greater than these? Take a tour. Are you better? No. Is your territory greater? No. Here's the contradiction that they, they hoped in in, in uh, verse 3. O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. There's the contradiction. That's the contradiction in our day, isn't it? Well, we can do whatever we want. We'll do violence. We'll kill infants. We won't believe. Anything but creation can be taught. We'll teach evolution, even though it's impossible. We'll, we'll teach that. And they put far away the day of destruction. The scoffers in Second Peter, what did they say? Where's the day of the Lord you guys talk about? Where's the end times you guys talk about? They're not coming. He promised it, but nothing's happening. And they promote their sin. And that is the great contradiction. They, they put away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. They, they do these contradictory things. The second of the, the woes, or the third, and you could see that the ESV just uh, uh, supplies it there. Here is this uh, luxuriousness. Here is this uh, uh, on, their, on their beds. Here is the deterioration in, in, in the society. Uh, this pleasure-focused society. Same as us, same as many nations. Uh, the, if, you, if you ever uh, look up, uh, what's that, uh, Dubai. Uh, look at the stuff that they do, right? Oil-rich. Oil rich, but salvation poor. And they build the tallest building in the world. And they, they build this city of islands that are all man-made somehow. And, and people drive around in, in Lamborghinis and Ferraris all day long. But, but it's all pleasure-focused. And, and the morals of many societies and nations in world history, that's what happened. The Greeks were known for it. The Romans were known for it. The USA is known for it. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. The, the philosophy is on bumper stickers. The one that dies with the most toys wins. That's the philosophy. That's the idea. When's the next party? When's the next thing? And uh, the, the condemnation goes, goes to them uh, on these things. There, there's eight different things and then their greatest sin. They live for pleasure and not themselves. The first thing is they lie on beds of luxury. It was mentioned before. They take the posture of luxury on these uh, couches. And that's what they do. They, they eat lambs from the flock. They select them. They, they take calves from the mist. They pick them out. Other places, God says that, that Israel didn't even take the time to find the, the nice one that he was supposed to be sacrificed. They just grabbed any old uh, lamb or, or, or goat to sacrifice. It hints at their false worship. Notice they, they sing idle songs, this music that is worthless. They invent instruments for themselves. 
That's how I like my worship. My worship has to make me feel good. I wish we had a little more bouncy tunes in here. Well, who said bouncy tunes? Christ ever say it? Got to have bouncy tunes. No, he said you worship in spirit and in truth. You worship from the purity of a cleansed heart and a sincere heart. You don't come in here to taste music. You don't come in here to taste bouncy tunes. You don't come in here to say, well, I like the guy who has that southern accent, but this other guy, he's constantly pushing sin in our face. You don't, you don't, you don't come here and, and, and taste stuff. But that's what he's trying to get at. Look, they, look what they're doing. They invent instruments for themselves. They drink wine in bowls. They, they anoint with, with the finest oils. They always had the best. There's people that are like that. There's people that can't afford the things that they, that they pr promote and present to others, aren't they? Maybe you've known some of them. Oh, I got this purse. I got these shoes. I, I wear this $200 jacket just to look like they're in luxury. But, but these eight things are characteristics of their sin. But the, but the greatest sin is, is at the end of the list, that they are, not, they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They're not grieved over the ruin of the whole nation. Not the person, Joseph, but Joseph as a picture of the nation. And you remember, you remember we talked about it when this is, when this is used, it's a generic term for the nation, but it reminds us of Joseph's brothers who threw him in the pit. And they made some money off of it. Uh, that's the type of sin that these people are doing. Well, as long as I'm comfortable, one of the brothers says, why, why should we kill him and be guilty? Let's make some money. Even though they saw the anguish of his soul, it says they stole, sold him instead of killed him. They made, they made profit. Morally, Joseph was pure. He was an example. He was an example of a God-fearing man. He was patient and wise. He was hardworking and honest. And, and, that's, and that's the other thing that these, uh, this exhortation is, is pointing to. If you would look back at Joseph and be a person like Joseph, you'd be all right. But now, you're throwing away the whole thing. You're not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You're not grieved that Israel is opposite of what he was. In verse 8 and 9 come uh, the assurance, the assurance of disaster. And God says, Adonai Yahweh, and he swears by himself. And now the swear by himself is in Hebrews 6 and verse 13. It says God swore by himself because he can't swear by anyone that's greater. So God is swearing by all his perfections. He's swearing by his omnipotence, his holiness, everything that he's perfect. Uh, people throw this around, right? I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear to God, right? You hear the person say that four or five times, you know he's a flat-out liar because they have to swear all the time and avow their honesty because they're dishonest. But no, this is God swearing by himself. You can't do a greater thing. There can't be a higher thing. Hebrews goes on to, to say he, he swore and he made an oath. 
so that by two things that are impossible to break, that's the courage, that's the faith that we can put in. God made a promise and an oath. My salvation is sure in Christ. That's why I can have an anchor of my soul. Two things that can't be broken. But here comes what God says, three certainties. He abhors the pride of Jacob. Uh, they abhor the one who speaks to them in the gate. And Yahweh abhors their pride. To be hated by God is the worst condition anyone can be in. And the generic uh, Jacob is, is found there for the whole nation. Here he says next, he hates their strongholds. There's the, there's the picture of their pride, isn't it? We built these cities. We have this. We have our couches. We have our luxury. We have all these things. We did it for ourselves. Uh, the foolish man who thinks he's got to build new barns, right? What a picture. He says, soul, take your ease, rest. you got everything you need. And the word comes down, you're a fool, because this night your soul will be required. And that's these people. We have strongholds. But he says he's going to deliver up the city and all that is in it. And uh, probably that's a reference to, to Samaria. Uh, concerning God swearing by himself, one writer says, when God swears by himself, he commits the totality of his nature, the Holy One, the Redeemer and Judge, the totality of his status as the world's sovereign Lord and the totality of his effective power as the omnipotent. Again, what is it that so rouses and antagonizes the Lord? Human pride. And when pride is assaulted, the strongholds and the capital city which are the embodiment of it, will fall as well. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. And then in verse 9, I just am amazed at this, a, a real picture of what's going to happen. God puts it in Amos' prophecy of a real conversation that's predicted, real results that are predicted, and real things that actually uh, happened. There's 10 men in a house, and they're all killed. That's what's going to happen. It's an eerie picture. So some, somebody comes along, an uncle or a relative, and that's, that's down the line, isn't it? My uncle, right? Your, your dad and your mom, your brother and sister usually do stuff for you. They take care of you. This is second level. My uncle had to come and help. So the uncle or a relative comes. He's the only one left. He heard what happened. Ten people died in the house. It says anoint for burial or the, the New American Standard says the undertaker comes or the, the New King James says the one who will burn. It seems like uh, the word uh, leads in that direction. There's the one who's burned because it talks about the bones later. The normal process was the person dies you wrap or anoint the body or anoint or wrap the body and you bury it. That's what happened. So you think about Lazarus. Uh, uh, Jesus raises him. He comes out. What does he have? He has gr gr grave clothes on. Jesus says, to, uh, unloose him. The ladies come to the, to the tomb. What do they have? They have spices. They're ready to anoint the body. And, and what's left? Grave clothes. That's all. That's the usual process. But the burning is not the normal process, it's the emergency process. 
you, you, you burn the body to get rid of it as fast as possible. They did that with Saul. The Philistines abused the body of Saul and men came and took the body of Saul and so that they couldn't abuse it anymore, they, they burned the bones just to get rid of it. Uh, in this situation, there's too many dead bodies around. You can't take the time to find them all and bury them all. So the picture is most likely they're, they're just burnt. This person came just to burn. You can't carry 10 bodies away. You just burn them and get rid of it. The conversation, it's, it's uh, this person that's on the side or in the innermost houses. It's an eerie thing, isn't it? Is there anyone here left with you? No, I'm the only one left. And then he says, silence, don't mention the name of the Lord. That's the picture. That's the picture that Yahweh prioritized and promoted his name and they ignored him. He underscores his power and his sovereignty. All his words come to pass. And now the devastated people are afraid even to use his name. They're forced into silence. So chapter 8 and verse 3 is another graphic picture, a scary picture. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. That's what's going to happen. That's what's happening in this, this picture. And I'm sad to say that I understand exactly this, what happened in this passage. I failed to report for the armed services, and uh, it's a federal crime, so I ended up in federal court. And I ended up in federal court waiting for the judge to come, and he already had sentenced a few people, and I was scared, and my legs and my knees were shaking. And I said, I gotta pray to God to get out of trouble. And my conscience said, you can't pray because you're not gonna change at all. Because if you get out of here, you're gonna do exactly what you've done before. And what did I do? I just had to be silent. I couldn't mention the name of the Lord. I couldn't say, God save me. I couldn't say, God help me, because my conscience was right. And I got through my little court thing, and I was drunk just like I was the night before, the night before that. But in court, when it meant something, I couldn't say a word. And that's this picture. Who's left? Are you the only one? I'm the only one. Don't say anything. Don't mention the name of the Lord. You've been false worshiping and calling his name the wrong thing all the time. And now they're finally getting it. If you use God's name, you better use it in the right way. But since we've been that way, we don't even know how to use it in the right way. And now to use it in the right way, what are they going to do in this devastation? Just say, oh, praise the Lord, praise Jehovah. He's our God. No, it's too late. There's that juxtaposition. You can't open your mouth. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So then God continues to uh, declare judgment. Chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, for behold, there's our, there's our little... Uh, there's our little uh, stop, wait, take notice. Uh, behold, the Lord commands 
and the great house shall be struck down to fragments and the little house into bits. Nothing left. Do horses run on rocks? No. Does the plow there with oxen? No. Does Israel display justice? No. And that's his picture. You have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. It's, it's been in a it's been in a, a verse already. Take notice. Take notice. Behold. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and Ezekiel, uh, behold, is used hundreds of times. He, he's, trying to get the, he's trying to get people's attention. Behold, behold, stop, take a look. Matthew uses behold. Uh, Isaiah has behold 96 times. And, and looking at the looking at the, uh, the concordance, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel either have as much or, or more because they're just saying, stop and look, behold, look what's going to happen. Not all the rulers and the kings. Look what Yahweh is going to do. Take notice of the judgments. He's, he's already tried to say, look at what I've done already. Just in the passage we studied today, he said, Look at the Philistines area. Look at this other area. Look what is going on around you. He might say, do you remember COVID? Something else could be coming that's much worse. Everything, everything is going to be taken apart. The great house fragments, the little house bits. Remember earlier, he said, I'm going to destroy your winter house and your summer house. Well, I got this house I stay in for the winter, and then I go up to New Jersey for the summer. No, that's wiped out too. Justice, what did they do with justice? It's like poison. Think of our day and the conception of justice. Oh, we know what you did, but if you plea it down, oh, we know you're guilty of this, but if you confess to this, then and you say, how can they do that? How can they let this guy go? How can they give him such a short sentence? How can they do this? Because uh, ju justice uh, is, is not practiced. And people are stronger in evil because they know if I get caught, I probably won't, I probably won't have to face that much. Our evil nation uh, wants a horse to, ru to run on rocks. And then the bitter taste, the bitter taste that, that, that God shows them is, this is what you've done. A horse can run on rocks and somebody cannot get justice in Israel. That's the problem. What's left? That bitter taste. And sometimes you'll see a report and you're just like, it's almost like a bitter taste in your mouth, isn't it? They let that guy go. They caught him doing all this stuff and they, they just want to quickly sweep it under their rug. We, we have a president doing sexual things in the White House and they just say, well, it's a Republican plot. What Are you kidding me? We are fed and expected to swallow a steady diet of these lies. We, in a sense, as a nation are told, horses run on rocks. Oxen plow on rocks. That's just the way things are. Look at the recent decision by the Supreme Court. They absolutely hate them who made that decision. They'll, they'll target them. 
because they want their injustice to continue. They want to, they want to be in control of their own lives, just like the Israelites. Uh, many nations and, and leaders have, have, have started an injustice on righteousness, and they're unable to stop. It's the, it's the history of the world. Pastor Tate used to go to Zimbabwe, and used to, Zimbabwe had this guy, I believe it was uh, Mogabe or somebody like that. He'd ruled for years. But the typical thing, he had the palace, he had the cars, he had the guards, he had all the luxury, he had all the power. And if you opposed him, yeah, maybe you weren't around very long. And out where they, and out where they would go, the people had no running water, no bathrooms. They, they built a fire for every meal that they had. That's where Pastor Tate used to go to minister. But you could go to the city and they had everything. Cars, airplanes, everything. Then if you went to the palace and his, that guy, he had even more than everything. Injustice is a characteristic of evil rulers. There's the contrast uh, of their false strength and, and Yahweh's uh, power. He says, you rejoice in Lodabar, verse 13, verse 13 who say, uh, have we not by our own strength captured? Uh, they said, look, look what we've done. Look at our accomplishments. Uh, but he underscores in verse 14, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts. Remember, he's constantly un underscoring Yahweh Adonai of hosts. And they'll show, oppress you. So it's like a map. You said what you, you built, and God says they're going to oppress you from here to over there. And if they knew where those places were or they didn't, right, you might say, well, well where's Jacksonville? Right? Young Israelite might say, well, where's Jacksonville? Oh, it's, that's far away. Oh, they're going to take us into, is, into exile all the way there? That, that's the idea. Look at the map. They're going to oppress you from here to over there. It's underscored. It's underscored. The conquerors, those who think we conquered, we got this for ourselves, are going to be uh, conquered uh, themselves. And we'll just dip into uh, we'll just dip into chapter seven. Absolutely fascinating. The whole the whole uh, structure changes because now. Uh, Amos uh, sees visions. Uh, it's suggested. It's suggested that this section takes us from speech to sight because of the recorded visions, and uh, I want us to be careful with that. But I also want us to remember uh, that the, the first two judgments, Amos prays, and God says He relents or He won't have that to happen. And I, I want you to keep in your mind: everybody needs. An advocate. Everybody needs an advocate. So, the section they say goes from speech to sight. Uh, the ESV heading in one of the Bibles that I have says this is a section of warning visions. The New American Standard uh, has the, the beginning of the section saying warning uh, through visions. A and then, uh, the four, the, the four examples uh, are chapter 7, 1, chapter uh, uh, 7, 4, and then 7, 7. So it's, uh, uh, he, he, he sees locusts, he sees fire, and he sees a plumb line. Uh, 
And then uh, chapter 8, 1, he sees a basket of fruit. And uh, chapter 9, he said he sees the Lord standing beside the altar. So th there is, there's five, there's five different things. And uh, Moetir calls this in his commentary, uh, part three. And he says this is the section that uh, he calls the Sovereign Yahweh. Uh, because it features Yahweh Adonai. Uh, 11 times in the three chapters, chapter 7, 8, and 9, and uh, 20 times in the whole prophecy. Now, I, I appreciate that he sees this shift, but we've talked about God's name before a lot, haven't we? So, so rather than see a complete shift, I would say just, just see that God's continuing to underscore who he is to these people. Yahweh Adonai might be used more times compressed here, but the God of hosts is used more times compressed in the, in the place where we uh, uh, came from. So uh, another shift or feature of these final chapters also is that God speaks of Israel as my people or my people uh, Israel. And uh, we'll, we'll just have some notes, uh, uh, four notes on this, and then we'll be done. Uh, I don't think we can make a black and white distinction about the chapters in the prophecy and, and say speech to sight doesn't mean that in one part Amos only preached and in another part he only had visions. All right? It's just what's recorded. And preaching is recorded here and visions are recorded there. Um, his commission, he says the words of Amos, which he saw concerning Israel. That's, that's Amos 1.1. So he's saying, basically, the whole thing I saw. But these visions are different. It's not about the whole thing. It's interactive. God shows him a vision. He talks to God. God talks to him. They're interactive. So that is a, a, a difference. So let's not make a fast distinction. Then, uh, secondly, by whatever means God reveals himself through the prophets, uh, it is... Is is a, is the right way, right? It's a, Amos has a multifaceted revelation, and uh, uh, the Lord does nothing without revealing His secret to the servants of prophets, whether it's by vision or preaching. It's not only here, only there. It's a it's multifaceted. Amos's ministry. Hebrews one verses one uh, 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 confirms this at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Ezekiel was told to take his clothes off and lay down and face a certain direction. Amos was told, tell, tell him about these visions one time and preach the other time. Can't make it a hard, fast thing. Fourthly, or thirdly, uh, this uh, shift in God's name, we, we can't say that that's a definite shift because God's used his name over and over and over in all these different combinations. The, the one verse that's in there. The one verse that's in there, he says his name like six times in a verse and a half because he's trying to get it to their, their minds. This is God, I'm talking to you. And then finally, the vision shows a direct connection between Amos and Yahweh. Uh, the interaction and conversation that Amos with Amos demonstrates how close he is to God. And I'd like you to think about uh, uh, John chapter 10. Oh, there it is. 37 and 38. Uh, they said he's blaspheming because I am the son of God. Uh, 
He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I'm in the father. And I think this is a little bit of the same. Well, I don't believe what Jesus says. Well, look at what he does. The blind man in chapter 9, and John knew it, he went to the Pharisees and said, no, a sinner, a guy who's a sinner can't open the eyes of the blind. They said, you're going to teach us. So, so I think we should look at this, that, that if you don't believe Amos is preaching, then look at how close he is to God. Believe the visions. Believe that he's a man of God. He talked to God, and God gave him these visions. Take another route to believe the, the, the message. Words and works together are, are the things to make us believe. We never saw any miracle, did we? Uh, further on in chapter 10, Jesus went away from them attempting to stone him, and he went beyond the Jordan where, where John baptized before and did many miracles, and many people believed. But what did they say? John never did a miracle, but everything he said about this man was true. That's the idea. It underscored. But whatever way you can believe, that's John's point in his gospel, isn't it? Whatever way you can believe. I'll show you Christ in eight different pictures. He's this. He's this. He's a shepherd. He's this. He's the resurrection. He's this. He's all these things. Whatever you do, believe. So I think we can look at this and say, whatever we're supposed to do with this message, believe the preaching and believe the visions. And next week we'll start on our uh, visionary trip. Three visions next week we'll cover. So let's, let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for your, your revelation. We are thankful that it did come in many ways, in many parts. We're thankful for the fullness and completeness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the final message. We pray that we would take in the words that we've heard this morning and, uh, and look to Christ for for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.